0: The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Dean Ernest Smith, Steve DeWolf, and Roderick Wetzel. On Texas Wind Law. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis legal podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees or customers and should not be considered legal advice. Professor Ernest Smith is former Dean of the University of Texas at Austin School of Law. Dean Smith is currently the Rex G. Baker Centennial Chair in Natural Resources Law at the school. He's a specialist in oil and gas law and has been recognized for his teaching as well as for his leadership in the energy field. Steve DeWolf is principal of Energy, a commercial wind farm investment and development company. Mr. DeWolf has helped lead the development of four projects that comprise nearly 10% of current wind energy in Texas. His law firm, Bellinger & DeWolf LLP, represents plaintiffs and defendants in a variety of disputes in both state and federal courts as well as in arbitrations. Roderick Wetzel is a partner in the Texas firm of Wetzel & Carmichael LLP. Mr. Wetzel is board-certified in oil, gas, and mineral law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization and has been an assistant editor of the Texas Title Standards Joint Editorial Board for 20 years. A former member of the Texas Oil, Gas, and Energy Resources Law Council, Mr. Wetzel has written numerous articles on oil and gas law and wind energy and frequently speaks on wind energy issues throughout the United States. Gentlemen, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. you.
0: Texas produces the most wind power of any state, so it seems right that there's now a definitive book on Texas wind law, available from LexisNexis, covering everything from, from litigation over the location of wind farms to drafting the correct and proper documents to federal, state, local government incentives. I, I want to ask each of you about the chapters of this book that you've, you've authored. Uh, Dean Smith, let's begin with
1: you. One of the chapters that I authored and that I'm especially interested in is a chapter that includes the material on severing wind rights from other incidents of land ownership in several parts of texas and other parts of the country also i understand landowners have been granting wind rights or perhaps more commonly have been granting the land and reserving wind rights in themselves in other words, the right to execute wind leases and to benefit from the wind leases. And there are serious questions about the validity of such severances. Ultimately, there's going to be litigation over whether it is possible to sever rights in wind from the remaining incidents of ownership of land. Now, of course, in Texas and many states... That's quite common with respect to oil and gas rights, but wind is different in several respects from oil and gas. And so far as I know, there has been only one case in the United States involving the validity of a severance of wind rights, and that's a 1997 case out of California, the Contra Costa Water District case, and that involved eminent domain in which a water district took land by eminent domain and severed the wind rights. There was a wind farm on the property, leaving the wind rights with the original owner, and that, of course, cut down on the cost to the water district. The owner challenged the validity of such a severance, saying there had never been an instance before in which wind rights had been validly severed from the other incidents of land ownership. And the California court pretty much said, well, in eminent domain, you can split up land and rights and land any way you want to. So there is that case. But given the context in which it arose and the language the court uses in upholding the severance, I doubt if it has much applicability outside of the eminent domain context. So that's a long way of saying that there really is no authority one way or the other for whether the severances of rights and wind are going to be upheld by the courts once they're finally litigated.
0: Mr. DeWolf, how about you? Uh, Tell us about a chapter that you wrote.
2: Well, I think one chapter that I sure enjoyed working on was the introduction, which really talked about what a wind farm is and, and the whole development, construction, and operation process. So uh, for most folks, they just see this big beast on the skyline and they wonder, geez, how did that get there? So I think it, it's going to be helpful for practitioners and landowners to really understand, you know, this is what happens in the development process, and that really a lot of the uh, things that go on Drive the clauses in the lease, which Rod and I have spent a lot of time on either side developing. So that that's a chapter that I think will be helpful for folks.
0: Sure, uh, Mr. Wetzel, how about you? Uh, a chapter that you wrote and are particularly fond of?
3: Well, Chapter Two, I think, was most uh, applicable to my practice, and Steve and I wrote that chapter together. Uh, he and I had the fortune uh, uh, to. Negotiate some of the first wind leases in in our part of Texas, and so we had a intimate knowledge of and and had a, a good deal of of agreements and disagreements in the past on a lot of these terms. So this is a this chapter two is a uh, pretty much a practical hands-on uh, approach to the different elements in a wind lease that a, a practitioner can look at this chapter when he's. Preparing a wind lease or reviewing a wind lease uh, that's presented to his client, and it covers uh, all the major issues that are involved in in a wind lease.
2: Uh, and Rod, one thing you might mention is, is the appendix.
3: Yes, and I think that what brings this particular chapter to life is that we actually uh, attach to the appendix a wind lease form.
2: Any and in a number of other attachments, but and, and oh. other
3: attachments uh, dealing with these these terms, which ordinarily aren't available.
0: Oh, sure. I can see where that'd be very helpful.
3: And it's a very lengthy chapter, as as you can see, that covers a whole range of issues that are of concern to both landowners and to to wind developers.
0: Now, this book kind of takes people through every phase of this process. How many chapters are there altogether?
3: There are. Eight Seven, chapters. Eight, 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 eight chapters all the way through sale of wind energy, okay. uh, which would be power purchase agreements, which, uh, of course, uh, you know an integral part of the process that once you produce electricity, you have to have a means to market the product.
1: And there's a possibility of adding a ninth chapter. If offshore wind farms are developed, then we might well have a separate chapter dealing with the special issues raised by offshore wind farms. And Steve,
2: one thing that I think people who read this and then the updates will find interesting and changing over time is the litigation and also the legislation. Uh, Since we put the books together, there have been a couple of pieces of litigation, one in Erath County, which deals with some of the same issues of nuisance that uh, Rod and Ernest talked about in in the litigation section. And then uh, recently, there have been some efforts in the Texas legislature to provide permitting dealing with FAA issues, and I've been involved in that. And so these are things that we touch on in the book and are important for practitioners to to be aware of, and I think in the updates we'll deal with it in even more depth.
0: Well, Professor Smith, Dean Smith uh, mentioned the eminent domain case out in California a couple of years ago, and there has been some litigation now in Texas involving Winlaw. Law. Uh, of the cases that you've seen to this point, is there one or two that kind of lay the groundwork for the future?
1: Well, from my perspective of the areas that I've written on, the Rankin case, which, uh, was just mentioned, Mm -hmm. the Rankin case was, I believe, in uh, Taylor Taylor. County, Uh, involving a claim of nuisance. The argument was based primarily upon aesthetics, that the wind farm was being constructed covering something like 40,000 acres uh, on ridges and hilltops in a very scenic area, and people had purchased land in the area primarily to get away from the city and to enjoy the outdoors and the scenery. And the Texas case made it quite clear that aesthetics or lack of aesthetics, so to speak, is not a ground for nuisance. It seems to me that's a quite significant case because one of the constant complaints I hear from people is that they don't like the idea of seeing wind turbines on the horizon.
2: And, Dean, exactly uh, what you're saying is this case in Erath County that I'm uh, involved with, that very issue, the the judge, I think, found a lot of guidance in what the court held and was upheld on appeal in the Rankin case. So I think you're right. That's a pretty significant case.
1: So unless you have a wind farm built close enough to to residences where the noise really is disturbing... I think it's going to be difficult for anyone claiming nuisance to prevail.
0: How about any uh, specific trends you might be seeing?
1: Well, let me jump in. This is Steve again. Uh,
2: uh, one thing that I've been involved with that uh, I, I don't know Rod and the and Dean have, have been involved with, but there's been an effort based on radar issues for there to be, for the first time ever, a permitting process in Texas, which is being uh, vehemently opposed by those folks that build and develop and operate wind farms. And so it remains to be seen how that's going to play out, but that's going to have a significant effect. If it's passed, it will, I think, chill the development in wind te- in, of wind farms in Texas, but I think there's a good chance it won't. And Anyway, that interplay, I think, will be very significant.
3: Well, I might just add that I, I think this is a rapidly evolving area, and you have to take into consideration, in our preparation of the book, uh, we were limited, to in Texas anyway, to going about only about the last 10 years, because there was no significant wind development uh, of the size of today in Texas prior to 10 years ago. So... A lot of the, the the wind laws that exist in Texas today has been recently created, and I think will continue to evolve at a rapid rate. Uh, given, if you look at Chapter Seven on transmission, the current CREZ system, which is being installed in Texas to bring another nine, ten thousand megawatts of of install capacity to the state, uh, will. Hopefully, give rise to another re- uh, wind boom in the in the state, and and uh, and some some call for changes in laws or new legislation, and probably some litigation. Uh,
0: well, it sounds like with Texas being such a leader in the development of wind power, it may also wind up being a leader in the development of the law that other states may look to for guidance. Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: I think it certainly is. Uh, I think in some respects. Uh, wind law in Texas is analogous to where oil and gas law was say 110 years ago Mm -hmm. and Texas oil and gas cases laid the groundwork for oil and gas law throughout much of the country and I think the same thing is going to happen with wind law.
0: If I could ask you to pass along a a practice tip or two to someone who may be representing a power company, or a municipality, or a property owner even, uh, what would you suggest?
2: Besides getting our book? (laughs) You know, I think, uh, not being facetious, but I do think that it's an area where um, a little uh, knowledge can be a dangerous thing, and it's good to get as up-to-date as you can. I guess the one thing aside from you know the, the book obviously I would say is on the tax abatement issues for example work and coordinate with the county officials get copies of the old tax abatements fill them in on on uh, what the process is and, and ask for their guidance and work cooperatively with them because there's a lot better chance of getting a good result that way
3: and I might add to that, Steve, from a landowner's perspective, and and those are primarily the the uh, clients that we represent. You you have to first ask the threshold question, and that is, does the landowner desire to have a wind farm on their property? It's really not for everybody. It has turned out in in years like this year in in uh, West Texas where it's not rained. Uh, It doesn't look like it's going to rain any time in the near future. It's a great supplement to failing crops and and loss of the livestock industry. Uh, But I think that's one question you have to ask. Another one you, you have to keep in mind if you're representing landowners is the ultimate financeability of the lease. And you want to be, from a landowner's perspective, you want to get the best lease you can but you don't want to drive such a hard bargain that you kill the financeability of the lease because, as opposed to oil and gas projects, wind projects have an extreme investment of of capital in the beginning and it often, almost always, requires the uh, injection of a great deal of capital. And that's just not going to happen if the leases are too difficult. So somewhere in there you have to look for a compromise with the wind company in order to achieve a lease that works for everybody.
1: And if I may add a comment from a different perspective, but also from the developer's standpoint, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is in the process of finalizing its voluntary guidelines for siting of wind farms, which of course includes a surveying of what sort of species are in the area especially if there are threatened or endangered species, and what impact the wind farm may have upon the environment. I think we're going to see a lot more suits brought on environmental grounds, and I believe that compliance with the voluntary guidelines set up by the Fish and Wildlife Service will provide at least some protection against liability or perhaps even being uh, shut down part of the time under environmental statutes.
2: And an example, uh, Ernest, you're uh, you're so right. Uh, you know that beach we haven't really talked about Beach Ridge, which is that uh, bat case that Invenergy got uh, hit with. But uh, I think you're right on the environmental
1: issues becoming more to the forefront. Next to the claimed unsightliness of wind turbines. The principal objection I hear is that they're environmentally they're harmful to birds, bats, and they disturb the habitat of other animals.
0: You know, as we move along here through time, I can see where all these issues are going to possibly raise subsequent issues that may be litigated. It's a growing area that's going to produce a growing area of law, which is where the supplements you mentioned will, I think, be an important addition to this book.
3: I would think to anybody purchasing the book that would be a great advantage, and that you would be able to have access to the continuing growth of the industry through a book that gives you the basics, and then it's going to be supplemented on an annual. That'll be supplemented on an annual basis, uh, giving the additional information, which will be no small order, I'm sure, in future years.
0: Yeah. How long did it take you, gentlemen, to write this book?
3: Probably about two years, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. And Steve.
1: Yeah, it's about about right from... Yeah, that, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah.
0: And due out in the spring of 2011. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you with us to talk about the new book, Texas Wind Law. I thank you for your time, Dean Smith, Mr. DeWolf, Mr. Wetzel. It's been a pleasure having you with us on this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Well,
3: thank, well, thank you very much, Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Visit the LexisNexis communities at wwwlexisnexiscom slash community. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast, copyright 2011 by LexisNexis, a division of reed severe Incorporated. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.